Time to express yourself, where teens talk and the world listens. Presented by Star Style Productions as an international outreach program of Be the Star You Are charity. You'll rock to an hour of adolescent fusion with your teen hosts and on-air reporters. Meet and chat with cool celebrities, exhilarating experts, and tenacious teens with subjects regarding anything and everything that you want to know. It's time to kick off the fun with our star teens. Welcome to Express Yourself. Our attitude towards immigration reflects our faith in the American ideal. We always believed it is possible for men and women who start at the bottom to rise as far as the talent and energy allow. Neither race nor place of birth should affect their chances. Robert F. Kennedy. Hello and welcome back to Express Yourself. We're a program by, for, and with creative young people. A platform to give teens a voice. Right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. From Cynthia Bryan, producer of Express Yourself and Star Style Productions, we bring this program to the airwaves as an outreach service of the Be the Star You Are charity, a top nonprofit honored by GuideStar and great nonprofits. For today's show, Be the Star You Are wants to thank everyone who has volunteered and supported BTSYA over the years. We are thrilled to be serving the world. If you'd like to help us celebrate being a top nonprofit with a donation, please visit www.btsya.com. Every dollar counts, and we will use the funds for our outreach programs. Make sure to listen to Express Yourself wherever you listen to radio or music. iTunes, Amazon, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, and more. We broadcast from the Empowerment Channel on Voice America Radio, the largest radio network in the world. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Ruhani, and today I will be joined with Rose. And today's show will be all about immigration. So in segment one, Rose will discuss how immigrants um, have limited access to healthy produce and how immigration has influenced the production of healthy foods. And in segment two, I'll be sharing the history of immigration in the United States, as well as in segment three. So let's get into it. Hi, Ruhani. I'm so excited to be on talking all about how immigration um, relates to the food system and the food crisis in America. So excited to hear it. So to get started, I thought I would talk about locally what happens in my community. So in California, immigrants make up more than 80% of the state's agricultural workforce. And other states like Washington State, Florida, and Oregon also have higher than average shares of immigrants in their agricultural force. Like Washington State has 72.6% of immigrants in their agricultural workforce, um, Florida is at 65.4%, and Oregon is at 60.7%. Wow, and, it shows how much hard work immigrants put into the workforce. Yeah, it really it is striking because it just shows that how immigrants are really deeply involved in the complex journey of seed to plate and everything in, in between. So in 2019, about 162,500 farm workers worked in California, according to estimates from the American Community Survey. But their relatively small numbers contrast with their significant contributions. 
These workers are a key link in the food supply chain in California and nationwide, and therefore so are immigrants. Farm workers play an important role in the state's agricultural economy, a sector that produced over $50 billion in revenue in 2019, with California's crop sales recently accounting for 17% of the U.S. total. And California is the leading state in terms of agricultural revenues and is the sole producer of a number of products, including almonds, walnuts, plums, and figs. And over three-fourths of California's crop sales are fruits, nuts, and vegetables, many of which depend on farm workers for production and harvesting and ultimately, like I mentioned before, depend on immigrants. Yeah, and I know we both live in California, so um, I think Central Valley is where a lot of that happens, um, near Sacramento. Yeah, definitely. And I know a lot of farm workers in the past couple of years have definitely been affected um, by COVID-19. And while many individuals switched to working at home during the COVID-19 pandemic, most farm workers actually continued their essential in-person work. And a recent study um, in California detailed farm workers' fears of catching the coronavirus at work compounded by lack of access to healthcare and social services and their need to work in order to survive economically. And this brings up the point of immigration services and the lack of services that are established in the U.S. And many immigrants come to the United States in hope of finding a better life for themselves and their families. However, they lack essential services and resources. In the years leading up to the pandemic, a number of federal and state policies changes may have helped improve access to health care for farm workers, but ultimately a lot haven't. So I think it's really still important to um, continue the momentum of advocating for immigration rights. Yeah, definitely. And um, in English class, we just read The Grapes of Wrath, which is pretty much detailing like how during the Dust Bowl, like immigrants from Oklahoma, so in-state, like in-country immigration, they would come from Oklahoma and come to California for a better life, but they too were met with, you know, sometimes discrimination and like really unfair prices and then which led to revolution. Wow, that's so interesting. I think it's also really important that you're also like reading a book like that in English class because I feel like a lot of people don't know about the ins and outs of immigration or even just like farm work, agricultural. So I think it's really important to bring in books that um, kind of switch the narrative, um, incorporate different information that people aren't really seeking in their day-to-day lives. Yep, exactly. And one of, I know we mentioned that there are some laws that have been helping um, immigrants, but there are there are some that haven't. And I just wanted to touch on and give a brief overview of the Affordable Care Act, which is a major reform of the U.S. health system, which allowed California to expand Medicare public health insurance to low-income residents beginning in 2014 and required large employers to offer health insurance to their workers beginning in 2015. Additionally, California implemented Medi-Cal expansions primarily funded with state dollars to cover low-income undocumented young adults in 2020. And expansion to undocumented older adults will begin later this year. 
This year's series of policy changes may have improved access to health insurance and health services for farm workers who are overwhelmingly immigrants and many of whom are low income. A further expansion proposed in Governor Newsom's January 2022 budget would cover low-income adults ages 26 to 49, regardless of immigration status. So this is a really important step forward um, in affordable health care, um, making affordable resources available to immigrants and just low-income communities in general. Yeah, again, like it's so important that agriculturists just like get the pay that they they deserve as well as the care. I know that's been an issue for a long time now, like from, you know, starting from like when agriculture first like became widely produced in the United States. I know um, in a lot of places in the world, it's not as mechanized as it here is here in the United States. So there's like plantation agriculture in different countries of the world. And I'm just, I know this because I just took my AP human geography test and we learned about like plantation agriculture, how workers from foreign countries are exploited by American corporations. And it's just really unfair. Yeah, definitely. And the U.S. food system, it really couldn't function without the contributions of immigrants. And a one-size-fits-all approach to immigrants doesn't necessarily work because they're so embedded in um, the United States culture. And while these policies I mentioned are an extreme important step forward to improving the lives of immigrants across the world, it is necessary that the United States continues to provide proper care and assistance um, to these groups because they are contributing to the U.S. in positive ways, and it is our job to give back and do the same. Exactly. And again, like immigrants don't just work like agriculture jobs. They work like everywhere. I mean, there isn't a place in the United States where you won't find an immigrant who's working really hard and tirelessly for, you know, their family and to really betters the economy. Yeah, definitely. And those working um, immigrants that are just like all parts um, of the U.S. economy and all of them are really helping the U.S. economy, um, they have to go through this H-2A visa program, which um, allow farmers, it allows um, people to hire immigrants like um, temporarily rather um, than having to go through a lot of paperwork that um, typically immigrants um, don't have time to do if they're escaping um, harsh conditions in another country. So this program um, is really important because it allows people to take temporarily um, to be in a job um, for not uh, a large amount of time. And so I think that's really something that's important to note because a lot of immigrants are escaping those harsh conditions in their um, homes or their previous homes. And while this program, it does sound like an ideal fix for immigrants getting help, um, but it's definitely not a the only thing that should be occurring. So I think that it's a great start, but like we mentioned, um, it should continue moving forward. Yeah, and unfortunately, those types of legislation can also lead to exploitation, like H-1Bs, H-2Bas, or what you mentioned. All of these things, like, it can lead to workers, you know, promising, like, a better life, um, you know, 
for these like immigrants, but eventually they're not paid as much as they should. And it, it leads to a lot of issues sometimes. Again, like it needs to be fair and it shouldn't have this, you know, exploitation aspect, which unfortunately happens a lot, especially when you're kind of dangling this idea of like freedom or, you know, a lot of different things. Yeah, definitely. And I think also like, I'm curious, like, it makes me, like, think about, like, what is the ideal situation for immigrants in the country, like, when they first come to the United States? Because so many things are, like, tied to them and so many things in the economy, like you were saying, exploitation, it's all, like, interconnected. So I'm curious, like, I think that the United States should give, like, unlimited resources and help immigrants find jobs when they come to America. But I'm curious, like, I actually don't know this, but I'm curious if there's like a resource center for immigrants to come to the United States when they come to the United States to help them out. Do you know if there is? I mean, there's definitely like nonprofits and organizations that specialize in helping immigrants. I know there's like chain migration when people in your family have already come so they can like sponsor them. That's how a lot of my family arrived is through sponsorship. Um, So like my dad came first, um, then my mom came after they got married and she could come because he was a citizen at that point. So it's just like a lot of times it's so hard when you come alone. And that's why like I really admire my dad because he came alone and then my mom followed and then their parents came also so really it's like a very tough decision a lot of the time but you're doing it eventually in hopes that you have a better life in America and sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't so it's also a game of luck too yeah that's crazy I mean like you said it takes a lot of um passion and drive to like come on your own like your dad did which is so inspiring and I think, like you mentioned, like the nonprofits, I think there should be like federal um, legislation or federal supported um, aid that goes to immigrants and that goes to help them create a life or if they're coming with kids to help their kids eventually um, find places in schooling. Um, so I just think there should be um, a greater amount of resources um, that are available because some of these immigrants that are coming to the United States, they come to the United States, but then they're kind of, they don't know what to do next because whether it's a language barrier or they, the like the systems that are in place are completely different from where they're coming from. It's just, um, it's hard for many people um, to come to America and, or not just America, but come to a new place that doesn't have similar things set up that um, they're used to doing. So I think definitely like um, having firms or having um, opportunities for them to get involved in is really important. Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately it's like been going, it's like there's been an ongoing debate on immigration in general um, for the past couple of years and especially undocumented immigrants have been facing the blunt of all this like criticism and, it's really disheartening, especially their children who were born here. They don't, some people don't believe that they should have citizenship. Like that, 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 that ties to like DACA, like defending, you know, like American children who were born to undocumented parents. So it like, again, I feel like a lot of people don't share those same values of how America should be a place for everyone and they want to limit it. And then, and then I have like other stuff planned for the next segments where I'll talk about like the history of it and how 
honestly, like immigration has been restricted from day one, kind of. Yeah. And I know, like you mentioned, like applying for green cards and applying for residence and for applying for citizenship is such a long process. Um, And I know that you can be like added to the wait list and the wait list at this point is for so long. I had um, a tennis coach who was from France and he was in America from with he had a visa. So he um, was waiting. He like was trying to find someone to marry really quickly so he could stay in um, the United States and in America because of the wait is just so long to get U.S. citizenship, which is just crazy um, because it's definitely could save a lot of people's lives if it wasn't such a long and hard process. Um, but we were trying my the tennis club where I go to play tennis was trying to hire him for a position, but they really couldn't because he had, there was difficult paperwork that needed to be filled out considering he wasn't a U.S. citizen and he was here on a green card. And it was just a lot of intertwined um, that could be avoided. Yeah, for sure. And um, I, I think when my dad came, it really wasn't that hard of a process or as grueling as it is now. I feel like because there's been so much more immigration and the especially since like I think 2000 is where it really picked up. It's like since then it's been limited. Um, and again, people come here because they're promised under, you know, more resources. And a lot of times their countries won't provide those resources. And um, there's so many different sides to the argument. Yeah, and I also think something we haven't talked about is, like, there's a lot of pre-justice with um, immigrants coming in, like, the other side of the argument that people might say, like, they're stealing American jobs, and then they're stealing um, money from America, which really isn't the reality, because, like I mentioned um, in my segment, um, like, immigrants make up a large amount of the agricultural um, and farm workers and all that um that like whole field of jobs um which technically the argument should be like if we don't have them how are we going to sustain a economy how are we going to sustain products um that they are just so skilled it's like with any job that one has you're you just know what you're doing um that type of thing so i think it's really important to understand that like all the other sides of the argument um are valid, but I think that with the other side of the argument, you can argue something else with saying that immigrants are important. Yeah, I also never understood like the stealing jobs thing because I feel like we're all really immigrants. I mean, they're unless you're indigenous, um, I think in that way, everyone who constitutes this population is an immigrant because um, this land was built from like Native Americans originally and then stolen from them. So technically, um, even like European ancestry that is considered immigration, if you think about it. Yeah, we just, um, that connects to my history class. I'm in U.S. history right now, and we are talking about, um, we're in like our race unit, and we are talking about how um, race and pre-justice and discrimination began, and it really began when the reality is like, Um, American citizens stole the land from, like you were saying, from indigenous people. So I just also think that it's really important to acknowledge that and understanding that um, all of this is like affecting, it affects so many people. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, I am just thinking about like my history class, what we learned and, um, you know, I took a push, so AP United States history. So that went through like all these immigration units really fast. But I think there's like a lot of points that were brought up that were really interesting. Like I'll go in depth about it later. It's like the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882. So that was like the first kind of like federal legislation that limited um, immigration. And it's really sad. So like a lot of Chinese immigrants came during the gold rush and they limited them because people had already started that argument um, that they were taking jobs when really these Chinese immigrants who came with barely any resources were willing to take wages that, you know, white workers weren't. So that's why they were employed. And then I think that's the origin of stealing jobs, that argument. Yeah. And I also know that um, it's now being announced that Thousands of Native American kids died by being forced to go to boarding schools, supported by United States governments. And it just goes back to, like you were saying, like um, indigenous people, these were their um, lands. And we we're talking about this in my history class, actually, um, between uh, when the Indian Removal Act was happening um, and all of those acts in the Trail of Tears, um, the United States saw an assimilation um the united states government saw assimilation as a way to address the ongoing like they called it like an indian problem but um and try to control such groups but really it kind of goes back to the whole immigration people um the united states are trying to control immigrants and address them by just removing them from the country so i think like american citizenship was a means of achieving assimilation of Native American people. But by the 1900s, like assimilation more created a form of citizenship in society rather than a real integration. Like it just completely um, destroyed what it meant to be an American citizen. Yes, exactly. Those like assimilation policies were actually really like harmful towards Native Americans. Like first it was like the forced removal during the Trail of Tears. And then that was like during like the Jackson administration. So that's what President Andrew Jackson thought was. And then after that, there's like, okay, let's just assimilate them into our population, which kind of led to like those boarding schools, which had so many Native American kids die. So these like assimilation policies are really just terrible and unhelpful at the end of the day and again like in that case I feel like these Americans were kind of considered the immigrants right because they were the ones on land that wasn't their own so there's a lot of ways you could look at it yeah definitely and I know um that we talked about a lot of things throughout this segment. So just going back to immigration, I think all of this, like what we've, what Americans have learned that have worked and what happened from like Native Americans, indigenous people and what happened to them are really important to consider when moving forward and um, finding ways to incorporate um, immigrants into society because like we've learned like just forcing people into boarding schools or forcing people into um to learn new cultures and um new languages and like american ways of life 
um, really didn't work in the past. So I think it's important, like we learn in history class to learn from what's worked in history and what hasn't. I really hope people can like take it into account, but sometimes it does feel like history is like repeating itself in a way, especially during like the Trump administration, like his policies against immigration were pretty, pretty strict. And I hope it's gotten better now, but again, like there's always going to have this, those sentiments are always going to be there in a way. And it's a shame, but hopefully, you know, with, our few next few generations will be able to realize, you know, how important immigration immigrants are to society. Yes, definitely. Um, I agree. Okay, so um, it looks like we're out of time for this segment, but we'll be back to talk more about immigration. I'll be talking about um, the history of immigration until 1965. So make sure you stay tuned. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. The star you are light up the flame that burns. Make a world of difference in a world of differences when you support Be the Star You Are 501c3, a literacy and positive media charity dedicated to empowering women, families, and youth. Visit be the star you to make a tax deductible donation today. Everyone counts. Donate today. Be the star you are.org. Be the lucky star you You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Welcome back to Express Yourself. I'm your host, Juhani, and right now I'll be talking about the history of immigration to the United States. So actually, it's pretty funny. I know a lot about um, the history of immigration in the United States because I just took my AP United States history exam. It was quite quite lengthy. I read a lot of essays and it was kind of hard, but I got to learn about immigration, and that's very important because immigration is a huge component of our history. And, you know, after reading it, after, you know, learning all this history, I've realized that there has been a lot of mistreatment and quite a few restrictions to those coming from other countries. So if we start from the beginning, um, we should all know that other than indigenous people, practically everyone in the United States has immigrant blood because... Um, that's because, and I'm sure 
most people know this, um, people immigrated from England to start colonies in North America. So it kind of started from like Spanish colonies and then Dutch and then French and then English colonies. So the first long lasting settlement made by the British was in Jamestown, Virginia. So that was founded in 1607. And then more groups came in from England, you know, who were facing religious persecution, such as the Pilgrims or um, Puritans. They came a few years after and they settled in Massachusetts Bay. So all these colonies grew and became what is known as the United States of America. So it soon became a place that attracted immigration um, after the country's formation. There was a wave of more European immigration, this time from Northern and Western Europe. So that was between 1815 to 1865. So a lot of them came from Ireland, which um, I was, I didn't really know about this history, is that Irish people were actually colonized by the British and they were pretty mistreated in England um, by the British. Um, they had some pretty, pretty gruesome laws against them and now they were coming to America, so one-third of immigrants between 1815 to 1865 came from Ireland. So a lot of that was due to a massive potato famine, which is quite, um, I've heard about before. So that was in the 1840s. Um, they settled near the East Coast mainly. A lot of cities um, popped up there, and it was around like 4.5 million Irish people in between the years 1820 to 1830. So Irish people in you know particular, they faced a lot of discrimination and that was mainly due to their Catholic roots. So remember in APUSH, we learned about the nativist or Know Nothing Party. So that was actually just founded to limit their immigration. They wanted to keep this pure American blood, which again is ironic because really they came from the British, but um, that has been a continuing debate since the formation of the country. So between 1880 and 1920, it was the Industrial Revolution, a lot of urbanization, and America was receiving like more than 20 million immigrants. So it again shifted from Northern and Western Europe to Central, Eastern, and Southern Europe. So in that decade alone, there were 600,000 Italians that migrated to America. And by 1920, more than 4 million Italians had entered the United States. So in addition to Italians, there were also Jews um, from Eastern Europe. So they were fleeing religious persecution, and they arrived in large numbers and it looks like over 2 million entered the United States between 1880 and 1920. So America has been, you know, a safe haven for many people who have been facing religious persecution and seeking asylum. And that's an important thing to note. However, it wasn't all great for everybody because of the Chinese Exclusion Act um, in 1882, which I mentioned in the first segment, really disheartening. It was like the first federal legislation to limit Chinese immigration. And it was different. Um, at first, at least my textbook claims this, it wasn't too bad for Chinese people originally. They weren't treated that terribly. But then um, this anti-immigration sentiment, sentiment set in, especially because they weren't white. And um, the legislation limited these Chinese laborers coming from America and many of them, um, they had come during the gold rush, um, 
which is a very important part of California history. And I learned about that extensively in elementary school. They really wanted us to know the gold rush. So a lot of Californians were advocating for the new law. They wanted to limit these Chinese immigrants because they felt they were taking their jobs, which again is pretty much history repeats itself because that argument still used today. These Chinese laborers who came in with very few or limited resources, they were willing to take, you know, these lower wages to construct railroads or do other um, industrial jobs. And um, American immigrants didn't appreciate, sorry, American citizens weren't really fond of that because they were willing to advocate for higher wages. So again, same kind of argument used in a lot of different ways. And these exclusionary measures continued. So um, 1907 um, was actually a peak year for immigration in the United States. So 1.3 million people entered the country legally during that time. So then World War I happened and between 1914 to 1918, and that caused a decline in immigration. And again, became these quotas. Um, so in 1917, Congress had this legislation that required immigrants over 16 to pass a literacy test. And then in early 1920, those more immigration quotas were established. It was kind of like the Chinese Exclusion Act in which that they didn't want more immigrants to come in. And the Immigration Act of 1924 created a quota system that pretty much restricted entry to 2% of the total number of people of each nationality in America. And this was basically just a system that favored immigrants from Western Europe and pretty much prohibited immigrants from Asia. Um, I know during World War II, the um, Japanese immigrants faced a lot of discrimination as well. They were actually in internment camps because of the attack at Pearl Harbor and it was, it's very sad to learn about it, how they were mistreated during that time. Um, but there was actually J Japanese people in the American army, and my history teacher told me about this. Um, they actually served for the United States like Japanese Americans, although that's not very, that's not widely talked about when it really should be. And it wasn't really until 1965, I believe, that Congress passed the Immigration and Nationality Act. So that basically got rid of quotas based on nationality, and it allowed Americans to sponsor relatives from their countries of origin. And as I talked about in segment one, that's really how my mom was able to come here. And my grandparents, um, these sponsorship programs really help people to kind of unite with their families. And as a result of this act, there was, again, a shift in these immigration patterns. And instead of, you know, immigration coming from Europe, it mainly comes from Asia and Latin America. And it's so important to know about all this. I admittedly did not know as much as I should have until I took my history class. And it's, it's really great to learn, especially as, you know, a daughter of immigrants. And I feel like every American should know how this country was kind of built upon the hard work of these immigrant laborers and how much we should value their contributions to this country. And again, so disheartening to see um, people's agendas, especially politicians who are trying to make it seem like immigration is a bad thing when it looks like throughout history, it's actually benefited the economy, benefited society. And 
like everyone says, America is like a melting pot that has all these different cultures mixed in to create something great. So it shouldn't be divided between nationality if we're all here to be Americans. And that's the idealistic way to look at it. And I like thinking about it that way, too. Um, It gives me great comfort. And I know there is a lot more immigration still occurring today. Um, I know I live in a po- I live in a place which has a lot of um, immigrants living here. Actually, I live in um, the East Bay of the Bay Area in California, and we have I pretty much go to a school that is mainly second generation children. So um, a lot of East Asian and South Asian people. And a lot of our parents are also immigrants. So my experience in that way has been a bit different than many other second generation children throughout this country. I was never really, uh, I never really thought much about how different I was. I mean, a little bit in elementary school because I lived somewhere else, but in middle school and now in high school, it's not really like a problem. Although I know it is in some other areas in the United States, Um, a lot of places in my state of California has a lot of second generation children, like large Latino populations or large Asian populations. And it's beautiful to see us all, you know, united. And again, I don't really think we should fall for these divisionary tactics because at the end of the day, we should all be considered American. And um, it looks like this is it for this segment, but I will be talking more about immigration patterns in the next one. So make sure you stay tuned. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. Be the star you are. Light up the flame that burns. Make a world of difference in a world of differences when you support Be the Star You Are 501c3, a literacy and positive media charity dedicated to empowering women, families, and youth. Visit bethestarur.org to make a tax deductible donation today. Everyone counts. Donate today. Be the star you are. org. Be the lucky star you are. You're listening to Express Yourself. On the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. 
Hello, it's Ruhani, and welcome back to our show about immigration. So, in the last segment, I talked about U.S. immigration um, until 1965. So, in this segment, I'm going to be talking about immigration since 1965 until now. So, we left off um, on the Immigration and Naturalization Act of 1965. So, that abolished that earlier quota system I was talking about, which was based off, you know, your nationality, your national origin. And instead, there was a new immigration policy, and it was pretty much based on uniting these immigrants' family and families and, most importantly, attracting skilled labor to the United States. So it pretty much was effective in that scenario. So in the first five years um, after the bill's passage, immigration to the U.S. Um, from Asian countries, and um, especially those who were fleeing the war in Southeast Asia, such as Vietnam and Cambodia, quadrupled. And as we know, in these like past immigration policies, immig- Asian immigrants were completely barred from entry. So they were able to come to the United States to flee the war. And then there was also um, other conflicts during that time. So during the 1960s and 70s, a lot of people were fleeing from poverty or um, other hardships in the communist regimes in Cuba, Eastern Europe, and other places. And they came here to start new lives. And it's um, we learned about that too in history, how a lot of Cuban immigrants came in during that time. And pretty much in three decades um, following the Immigration and Naturalization Act of 1965, more than 18 million legal immigrants entered the United States. And that's pretty much more than three times the number admitted over the past 30 years before then. So it is really cool to see how all these um, different patterns shifted because um, pretty much the face of the American population was changed entirely. So in the 1950s, more than half of all immigrants were Europeans and just 6% were Asians. In the 1990s, only 16% were Europeans and 31% um, were of Asian descent. And also the percentages of Latino and African immigrants had also jumped um, by a huge number. So Between 1965 and 2000, the highest number of immigrants, um, which is 4.3 million, um, came to the U.S. from Mexico. And in addition, there were like around 1.4 million from the Philippines, Korea, the Dominican Republic, India, Cuba, and Vietnam. They were all these leading sources of immigrants and pretty much around 700,000 to 800,000 over this time period. So yeah, my parents were included in that picture. My parents came in the late 80s to the mid 90s. So again, like my father came from India to the United States in 1989. First of his family, um, it was like really pretty big deal. Um, Around that time, like I think he told me like everyone around him was trying to go to America. There's some people who first went to like Australia or England, but everyone wanted, really wanted to go to America. That was the big place. And so he came on a student visa. He got some help from some friends living here. And he studied first um, in Michigan and then came to the Bay Area. 
Um, he then got a work visa to work here. Then he went back, married my mom, and my mom had actually been studying in England for her master's degree. So um, she told me when she came to the United States, she wasn't too too impressed because she, she says she'd seen it all in England. But um, after marrying my dad, she was able to obtain sponsorship, um, and she had a green card for like a long time. But she eventually got her citizenship, and now they're all citizens. So during um, my father came prior to 9-11, but, you know, in the wake of the 9-11 terrorist attacks, there was the Homeland Security Act of 2002, which created the Department of Homeland Security. And that pretty much took over many immigration service and enforcement functions, which was first performed by the Immigration and Naturalized Service Um, So they made some modifications. Um, The policies put into place by the Immigration and Naturalization Act of 1965 are the same ones governing U.S. immigration in the early um, 21st century. Um, I'm pretty sure since then immigration has become more strict, but non-citizens pretty much enter the United States lawfully in one of two ways. So one is by receiving either temporary admission, which is like um, student visa, work visa, such as H-1Bs, or permanent immigration um, admission. So the permanent immigration admission is considered like a lawful permanent resident. They receive a green card, they can work, and then eventually apply for citizenship. Um, A lot of people I know are on green cards, and it's taking a long, long time to become a citizen, like Rose was saying in segment one, the wait list has become like incredibly long um, and it takes takes a while. Um, I t- think it did take a while for my mom, yeah, but for my dad, it came pretty easily to him. So again, it's just, it's changed so much. Even in the past like 10 years, I'd say, like immigration has become probably more stigmatized and as well as like, harder to become a citizen. So in order to become like a naturalized citizen, you have to pass a test and it's an oral test. Um, It's like a civics test. And then there will have, there'll be like an officer who would ask you like 20 out of a possible 128 civic test questions. You're like supposed to study all of them. And all of my grandparents did and they passed, which was amazing because I was looking at the questions um, just before the show and somehow I got a full score, but I won't lie. Like I was hesitating on some of them. It's kind of embarrassing, but I think I only knew um, a lot of the answers because I'd just taken my A-push test. A lot of historical questions. And again, like I think they're pretty important to know. And I really applaud anyone who comes in here and is willing to work so hard like my parents did. And, you know, I know so many different people who come from so many different countries who all want the same goals for their families. It's so inspiring. And that has been going on since like the 17th, 18th century in the United States. So it is just incredible to see how immigration has grown and how important it is again, to value them in this country. So I hope you enjoyed the show today and We're out of time, unfortunately, but as always, we express our gratitude to Star Style Productions, 
Cynthia Bryan, Be The Star You Are, and our Voice America Empowerment crew, especially our audio engineer, Josh. So thank you to our guests from across the world. And a huge thank you to our listeners for making us a top-rated program. So for more information about the Be The Star You Are charity, visit www.bethestarur.org and find us on Instagram at Express Yourself Radio. Remember, we're all immigrants and be kind and inclusive of everyone. Always remember to speak up, speak out, and express yourself. Thanks for joining us this week on Express Yourself, produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, be sure to visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern, when teens talk and the world listens on the Voice America Kids channel. Until then, remember to express yourself. Stars to shine between